Columbus Business First reporter, Haley Colombo. This is Crisis Management, a Columbus Business First podcast where we talk with area business leaders about how they're managing through the coronavirus pandemic. Today, we're talking with Pelotonia CEO, Doug Ullman, about how he's leading the organization during this time and what's in store for the annual charity bike ride slated for later this summer. Thanks for listening. Well, thank you so much, Doug, for joining us for our crisis management podcast. First, I wanted to start off with just how are you and your family doing? Well, thanks for asking. We um, feel incredibly fortunate to have uh, the ability to stay at home, frankly, and and to have food on the table and to have our health and, and the health of our children. So, you know, feel fortunate and also feel in some ways like we aren't able to do enough to help those who are uh, less fortunate. So um, thank you for asking, and I hope you and your family are well as as this time passes too. There are a lot of obviously tough points to right now, but um, we also feel very fortunate as well. So thousands of cyclists are set to take off in August for the California (laughs) race to raise money for cancer research. Is that event still on? Yeah, so we know that this year's Pelotonia experience is going to be very different than years past. And while we don't know exactly what that will look like, uh, what I can tell you is that Pelotonia is not canceled. And I say that sort of knowing that some may take the meaning of that in different ways, but the mission of our organization is never canceled. And the impact that this community has had and continues to have on the lives of people with cancer is pretty profound and and we have to continue that. But obviously we are paying close attention to all of the public health officials, the the regulations and things that are in place. And we would never do anything to place our community uh, at risk or in harm's way. And I think the added nuance that we have is that people with cancer are more vulnerable. And so to put anyone, much less a cancer patient, survivor, family member, loved one, um, in a position where they are uh, uncomfortable or unsafe uh, is not something we would ever we would ever do. So how do you go about making that decision? Obviously, August, it, it is early August, but um, I know time is a flat circle during this during this time, but it is still kind of far away, but obviously we know that you know we've seen things be canceled into into June, into July. How do you even go about making this type of decision? Yeah, it's a great question. Look, I think, as you said, August seems like a far off sort of horizon, and yet it's not. It's right around the corner. Um, and I think one of the challenges in this type of crisis is the psychology, right? So we all want something to look forward to, and we want to be hopeful that that next thing is going to happen. And I think one of the biggest hardships we're all facing right now is the unknown. And the longer this goes, you know, there will be more unknowns, things that are simple. When would, when would I go eat in a restaurant again? When would I go, you know, to a, a, a business again, et cetera. And so we have to sort of weigh all of those things. I will tell you that our team has exhibited more creativity and entrepreneurship in the last few weeks than I've seen in years. And some of that is forced because of the situation we find ourselves in. But what that's led to is ideas for how to mobilize and engage the Pelotonia community 
in ways that maybe we always wanted to, maybe we always thought about, but maybe we just didn't prioritize, or maybe we just didn't take the time to focus on because we were so busy with everything else. And as an eternal optimist, I'm finding those silver linings, which is I think we will deliver an incredible experience this year and in 2021 and beyond. And some of that will actually be a result of this period in our lives where we were forced to take a step back, slow down, and think about some new and, and unique uh, options. So I'm excited about it, but I do know it will look very different um, and it will be very different. And, and I think we're all dealing and adjusting with, with those changes right now. So how might it look? Can you give any insight into some of those creative solutions that you guys are working on? How do you maybe transition, if you have to, away from this kind of mass gathering of people to something different? Well, I think one of the other things that's so important in a crisis is to be transparent and to share sort of what I would call unfinished work. So, you know, we, we at Pelotonia have been so grateful to be the recipient of such incredible generosity from individuals, from corporations, from the university community. I mean, you name it, we, we have been the recipient and our mission has been the recipient. And so we owe it to our community to tell them what's going on on a regular basis. And so over the course of the last few weeks, we've examined pretty much any and all options from having a traditional ride with uh, or a traditional experience with all of the safeguards and, and sanitation and, and things that sort of make it safer to doing something totally reimagined that does not include having thousands of people shoulder to shoulder, side by side in a physical space, because we know that looks highly unlikely. And that's been sort of the fun part is thinking about all those options. So things like, could you have smaller groups of people do rides at various points throughout the community throughout a longer period of time? So maybe over the course of several days as opposed to one day or two days. Could you eliminate the two-day option because we have people stay in dorm rooms and things like that that, again, doesn't seem feasible at this time and just have smaller distances? Could you have one route as an example, where people are assigned a time and a finite group of people are assigned for a window of time to ride that route and then they leave and the next group comes. I mean, we've looked at sort of all these various options and we've also looked at people creating their own Pelotonia. Like, what is your Pelotonia? And I might say, you know what, I'm going to go ride 100 miles that weekend somewhere on my own with my friends, with my family, etc. Somebody else may say, I'm going to run a marathon. Somebody else may say, I'm going to walk every night after dinner with my family, and that's going to be my Peloton. And so we've looked at sort of the gamut of of experiences and and possibilities. And again, it's been challenging, but fun and and, and energizing to, uh, to think about that. And then the other thing is we've talked to people in our community. So we've done some small focus groups. We've interviewed some of our Peloton captains from community organizations and companies and said, what do you think? the best insights are always from uh, the people that are closest to it and most passionate about it. One thing, you know, as you're talking about this, that I'm, I guess, internalizing, realizing is that obviously exercise is not canceled. Bike riding is not canceled, walking, running, all those things. So do you think, is that sort of a benefit that you guys are kind of dealing with that people could, you know, do some of these things on their own but still kind of connect in a community way online or in some other fashion. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the Pelotonia 
experience and the movement have actually been more defined by community building than they have been by straight cycling. And so, uh, again, it's a weird feeling to sort of be um, in this situation where I can walk out of my house at six o'clock with my kids and my wife after dinner and see hundreds of people walking in the neighborhood. And it's a beautiful thing. The sad reality is not everybody has that opportunity, um, whether they be on the front lines or, or sort of uh, working without the flexibility or safety to be able to do that. So I do think there is a silver lining of exercise that people are getting more fresh air, they're spending more time with their families. And if we can optimize that and, and provide a platform for people to participate in new ways, that's exciting to us. And you know, there's always been traditionally a pretty significant barrier to entry for Pelotonia. You have to have a bike, you have to raise a certain amount of money. And if we eliminate both of those barriers for this year, um, I think we're going to see some pretty significant engagement. And we've already eliminated the enforcement of fundraising commitments, given the economic uncertainty that so many are facing. Um, and if we then remove that you don't actually need a bike, you can go walk or you can run or you can shave your head like I did. You could do any number of things that bring people together for a cause that you care about. You know, I think that's, that's going to be successful. Absolutely. And I think, sure, one of the things that you're dealing with is that there are still, obviously, COVID-19 is in the, in the front of all of our minds, and there's a lot of high needs there. But that doesn't take away from, you know, the need for your organization to raise money for cancer research. There are a lot of other needs. Do you find that, are you worried at all that some of those existing needs kind of go into the background right now? Or do you still think people are just as committed to raising funds for cancer research? You know, I think the whole fundraising nonprofit environment is going to be dramatically impacted. It already has been, and it will continue to be. And, you know, we're so fortunate in Columbus to have amazing organizations and amazing leaders who um, honestly, I think, put the betterment of the community ahead of their own organizational interests, um, and whether that's the work of the Human Services Chamber or the Foundation or others. I mean, we've seen remarkable sort of things happening already. That said, it's going to be very challenging, and there are going to be certain things that are prioritized, and, and rightfully so. And, you know, while cancer research is still critical, there's also a really interesting connectivity to COVID-19, which is that not only are people with uh, compromised immune systems more vulnerable, but if you think about a patient with cancer who has to go to the hospital for treatment, whether it be chemotherapy or radiation or even inpatient care, they're at more risk just from being in that environment. And then you think about the physicians and the scientists who are also on the front lines and, and at risk. And so there's a lot of connectivity between the two. The other aspect of this that's interesting for us is that the cancer research enterprise is so massive across the country and, and around the world. And when pandemics like this happen, oftentimes, and we're seeing this right now, so much of the cancer research enterprise gets shifted to focus on this. So an example would be the Pelotonia Institute for Immuno-Oncology, which is led by immunologists. You know, a lot of those immunologists are now working on COVID-19 and they're using their labs and they're thinking through their experiences. And so there is this sort of tight connectivity. And the last piece of that that is not lost on any of us is that, as you said, the world continues. 
right? So just as many people are being diagnosed with cancer today as they were a month ago or two months ago. And yet the experience for those individuals and families is dramatically different. Uh, we have an individual in our community who this is their 12th Peloton. So they've been in every single year uh, since inception. And this individual's wife was diagnosed with cancer two weeks ago. And she started chemotherapy last week and he was not able to be with her because of the visitor restrictions. And, and they're the right restrictions and they need to be in place. So I'm not doubting that at all. But you think about the psychology of dealing with the stress of COVID-19 and the uncertainty that that brings both economically and health-wise, and then introducing a cancer diagnosis and saying, gosh, I have to drop you off at the entrance and I can't be with you to hold your hand during your chemotherapy. You know, these are, these are trying times for a lot of people. So all that to say that our mission may be more important today than it was three months ago, just like the food bank, just like so many other direct service organizations, and yet the resources are gonna to be tough to come by. And that's the, the sad irony of these situations. You have more people to serve, more need, and potentially less resources. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the reality of folks who are cancer survivors, cancer patients, or just other folks with immunocompromised, other folks who are immunocompromised. As we gradually start to reopen the economy, what advice do you have for businesses and the entire community in terms of thinking about those people and not forgetting about the fact that we have folks who it wouldn't just be the flu for them? Yeah, look, I think this is really tough for everybody. I mean, I think overall behavior change is so challenging. And I think it's hard for any of us to fully anticipate what life is going to be like in a month or even six months, because it will be different. And, you know, different oftentimes carries a negative connotation. I don't necessarily see it that way, but I think your point is a really good one. It's like, we have to be more respectful and more empathetic and understanding than we've ever been before. And an example would be, you know, somebody might look at me and say, well, gosh, he looks like a healthy person. And they would have no idea that I've had cancer. And so, or that I have asthma or that, you know, there's any number of other things. And, you know, my good friend uh, Sanjay Gupta keeps saying every day on TV, we have to act like we have it. And if you act like you have it, you would not do certain things. You would not put somebody else in risk, at risk. And so as opposed to thinking about what the other person might be dealing with, if we all were to act like we had this virus, we might treat people in a, in a different way. You know, look, all the, all the data shows that people are not going to rush out to go sit in restaurants or go shopping or whatever it might be. And I think that's really telling, is that there's still too many unknowns for who is actually at greater risk. And it's gonna take all of us working together to solve this. And it doesn't make it easier, it doesn't make it better. But one of the things that happens in crises as leaders is you have to make tons of decisions with imperfect information. And that can be really challenging. But the opposite of that is paralyzation. And so I think we've been very fortunate here to have leaders who have made a lot of decisions that have been very hard, but that have been made through the lens of, is this in the best interest of the public health of the community? People can question them and they can doubt those, those decisions, but I have no doubt that those decisions were made at that moment in time 
with the best interests of the community at, at heart. And that's important. I think your point about having to make decisions with imperfect information is so important and interesting. How do you as a leader approach that type of decision making? Like where have you been turning to for advice and just guidance about how to move, move through this weird, unsettling, <laughs> yeah. uncertain time um, knowing that a lot, a whole community of folks are relying on you to, to make those types of decisions. Look, I think it's really challenging. I mean, I, in a weird way, like I've unfortunately dealt with a lot of crises in my life, whether it be personal health crises or professional crises. And I don't know why I'm continually attracting them, but this is, um, this is the first actual massive crisis that I've dealt with where everybody is dealing. So the beauty of that in a, sad way is that you, you don't have to provide any context, right? Everybody knows what's going on. You don't have to start from, you know, a, a, a summary or sort of uh, defining what's happening. But making decisions in this type of stressful environment is hard because you have imperfect information and you're stressed. And so you don't want to make big decisions from a stand, from a position of weakness. You want to make decisions from a proactive sort of position of strength. Look, I've made a ton of decisions in the last month that were wrong, you know, and I think that's part of it too, is admitting when you're wrong. And we have a daily call every night, every morning at 9 a.m. And, you know, we make decisions. And some days we say, hey, what we told you two days ago, we have to change it now. And that's really hard for a lot of people because it's a gray area that we're all sort of operating in. We're fortunate to have an amazing board. We're fortunate to have people on the board who are leaders of companies and organizations and the reality is they're dealing with the same thing. And they're all sort of having to do this at, at the same time. The other thing I would say is that the judgment of our decisions today will not be made today or tomorrow or next week. It'll be made in a year or two or five. And so we can't worry about what people are gonna think, especially if you have a filter. And so for us, it's very simple. Like our filter is, is this in the best interest of the community and our mission? And at the end of the day, that's the decisions we're going to make. And, you know, you can second guess them and you can say he was wrong, they were wrong, they screwed up, whatever. That's all fine. But we're only going to make decisions that we think are in the best interest of our mission and, and the people we serve. And that makes it a lot cleaner and simpler, I think, for an organization like Peloton. I think everyone wants to help in some way during this time, but our methods of helping are strained right now. It, it's weird. You know, we typically, after some sort of crisis, I think the natural inclination is, you know, to, to run out and all be together, you know, line up and give blood and, and um, all go volunteer somewhere. And that, some of that is not safe right now a lot of that gather well, any of that gathering is unsafe so how do you what would you say to folks who are kind of stressed wanting to help and not really knowing how exactly they can i think this is like probably the most significant thing that's burdening people right now i mean i personally am dealing with that every day i mean my wife and i talk about it every night I, I, it's like we should be doing more we should be doing more what can we do and then you're balancing that with you're supposed to stay at home, you know, and, and for some people they can go online and they can donate money. And for other people, they can 
walk to a little pantry and put food in it. And, and those things are important and significant. But for many people, it's a struggle to think through what's the best, most impactful things that I can do either individually or as a family. And so, look, we're fortunate to have great organizations like BESA and others who are doing some pretty awesome campaigns this week and, and in the future to sort of mobilize people. But I think it is a very strange dilemma that we find ourselves in. We want to help. We know there's need, um, but we want to do it safely. And we're actually thinking about how best to do that this summer because we have thousands of volunteers who want to give back and they want to participate. And whether it's giving blood or dropping off a meal or writing a letter to a healthcare worker, you know, there are opportunities to participate in those ways, but it's different. And it may be different for quite a while in terms of how we engage in the community. I don't have all the answers to that, but I, I can just say that I'm struggling with that because as, look, I'm a huge believer that human beings are the kindest, uh, most well-intentioned, uh, people and want to make the world a better place. And no matter your beliefs or your, your views, I mean, I think deep down, we all want to help others in need and right now even more so. And so figuring out the right avenues to do that safely um, is probably the biggest challenge we have as things start to quote, open up because uh, the, the unintended consequences of not doing that well could be really disastrous. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you think is important for the community to know? I think it's just important for the community to know that, again, we are so grateful for the generosity over so many years. And some of the things we are doing now are a direct result of the relationships that have been built over the years. We are so fortunate to have funding partners who continue to invest in our operations to allow us to help those in need, whether it's with our uh, equipment from our warehouse that's being used downtown to serve meals or whether it's giving the proceeds of our merchandise sales to feed uh, uh, physicians, nurses, therapists at, at Ohio State, whatever it might be, we just feel fortunate to be in Columbus in a community that cares about the betterment of all and we will do anything and everything we can as a Pelotonian movement to support those who are most in need uh, during this time. One Final note, so do you have a, like a head count of how many employees you have? Sure, we have 17. 17. And is everyone working from home? Everyone is working from home, yes. And we are not, like we're not planning to open anytime soon. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, if somebody needs to go to the office to get something, they can go, but like, right. as I told our team like 10 times, we are not essential. Like, I mean, we, we are fortunate that we have laptops and we can work from wherever and, you know. There's no need to clog up the system. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's how we're dealing with it as well. I mean, we, more than anyone else, we have these jobs that you can literally just sit at your computer and type. So it's like, yeah. okay, that's, I could really do that anywhere. So. Well, one of the most interesting things, and I won't divulge the names because I don't know if it's public, but, yeah. but being on these, um, you know, every week we have a Columbus partnership call. and hearing some of the CEOs of some of the biggest companies in the world that are based here. I mean, this has opened their eyes. I mean, one CEO last Friday said, we are permanently transitioning all customer service and three other departments to work from home forever. Um, He's yeah. like, we've realized we're stressing people out by making them drive 40 minutes to a building when they could be more efficient and they could be home when their kids get home from school. Like, yeah. and it's, it's so bizarre that like, 
something like this happens and it creates those types of breakthroughs. And then there was another, there was another CEO of a very large company on Friday who said they knew what the governor was going to announce. And, and he said, the earliest we will open our offices is mid July. And at yeah. that point we'll have 25% capacity. Yeah. Like, I mean, no, they're not rushing back, you know, I mean, yeah. if they don't I need mean, to. So. Yeah. Like I think we've all, it's interesting. I feel like if, if this had been more of a short-lived crisis, I think that, you know, like, oh, just a couple weeks and then we'll be back or whatever. I really think that maybe things would have been different, but I think now for those of us who have been able to work from home, everyone's in a rhythm now, you know, yeah. and everyone is efficient and the tech, you know, the technology's working and right. all of that. So as long as all of right. that keeps going, well, stay safe. Likewise, thank you for everything you're doing. And if there's anything we can do to help, let me know. Okay, thank you so much, Doug. Have a good day. You too. Take care.